0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast.
1: Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And together, we are your hosts. Now, Tane, you remember back when we started this little podcast series? Gosh, yeah. It's been a long time ago. Remember when we had some friends that would show up, but we called them FOPs? Yeah, friends of the podcast. What was that guy's name again that used to help us with the evidence stuff? Gerard.
0: Was it Gerard Dipper? No, you no, that's not him? What was that guy's name? You remember?
1: Garen. Garen Mueller. Oh yeah, I remember.
2: <laughs> yes, Garen here. Uh, oh, awesome. Hey, Garen. <laughs> How you doing, Garen?
1: I am good.
2: You, where the heck you been, man? Uh, I have been uh, working in the plaintiff's world trying to Get back in the courtroom to see you, fellas. So how's oh, that going?
1: Y'all starting to try some cases?
2: We are. It's finally opening back up. So it's exciting to uh, to finally to get in the courtroom and just get in front of some juries again.
1: So, Garen, tell the folks what exciting or exciting-ish issue and evidence we're going to discuss tonight.
2: Well, if you were enthralled with the apportionment episode before, oh, yeah. hold on yeah. to your hats because we have the apportionment. That was some of your best work, Garen. Yes, I'm sure I kept them all awake for the entirety of the 10 minutes. Well, and the, the cool thing about update. it was
0: it was so relevant. I mean, everything that you talked about was completely up-to-date, up-to-the-minute on apportionment, <laughs> which is the cool thing about it.
2: Right, except for the fact that, like, 10 minutes after we recorded it, a new case came out, uh, which changed everything for us. Hey,
1: so t- we have to talk about
2: want, it. Want. Oh,
1: i hope help you, Tane
2: you guys have gotten a little bit better with the sound effects well
1: we just followed tane's voice hey does that make this reapportionment
2: oh gosh here we go
1: (laughs) all right no no, seriously um garen catch everybody up we we talked about apportionment we don't have to go back through all of that because it can be a little complicated but we talked about it in that prior episode Tell the folks what happened to make us need to now do apportionment 2.0.
2: I'm gonna give you a quick recap. I'm not gonna go through everything. 51 1233 is the apportionment statute. There are you know separate subsections, but just remember sub, 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 uh, subsection A governs what should be done when a plaintiff shares responsibility for the injury or damages. Subsection G, remember, a plaintiff who is more than 50% at fault cannot recover. Then we look at subsection B, and that provides for situations where someone other than the plaintiff shares responsibility with a named defendant, or for example, a non-party. So what's supposed to happen is the trier of fact determines the fault of the plaintiff, and then each defendant, and the damages are apportioned by the trier of fact uh, against each person whom they're awarded. And then it's gotten we have gotten rid of uh, shared liability. So there's no right of contribution, There is no joint and several liability. It is your damages, your percentage of damages or against this defendant, your percentage of damages against that defendant.
0: It's all coming back to me now.
1: So you said the case came out. Um, What was that? First, what was the case and what did it say?
2: So in August of 2021, uh, Alston and bird versus hatcher management holdings came out. I've got the, Westlaw site, it's 2021 Westlaw 3501075. And that case basically said that damages cannot be apportioned under the apportionment statute to non-parties in cases where there's only one named defendant. So that limitation applies even where a jury or trier of fact expressly determines that a non-party was also at fault. If there's only one named defendant, then only that defendant Gets the uh the damages attributed to them
1: well, Tane, that's a pretty big departure from what had been interpreted and how the statute had been interpreted right
0: yeah definitely it reminds me of my my old days in litigation representing georgia d o t when we got named in everybody's lawsuits because we were the only defendant who might have money so uh yeah that that's that's i was f- very familiar with the single defendant uh case in those days
1: so now that was a garen that that really set I guess both the defense bar and the plaintiff's bar pretty much on their ear, did it not?
2: It did. Uh, it, it kind of set everybody aback because I don't think anyone had really interpreted the statute that way. Um, but the reasoning was subsection B states where an action is abroad is brought against more than one person. Well, so, but subsection A states where an action is brought against one or more persons, so we have a strict textualist view. Of this, which I'm a big fan of, to tell you the truth, but uh, it it creates some uh, disparity when we're looking at these cases now. And uh, so, what does it all mean? It means there's two fact two considerations for the fact finder. The first is, at the present time now, before anything changes now, uh, the fact finder looks at percentage of fault first. So, they subsection A dictates that the plaintiff's damages are reduced by the plaintiff's percentage of fault.
0: And nothing's changed in that, in, in the analysis from before. That's the way it would always start.
2: That's right. And then subsection C, C, <laughs> the fact finder should consider the fault of all persons or entities, of whether or not they're a party, to assign those percentages of fault. So when we're determining the plaintiff's fault, you can look at all persons or entities, whether or not they're a named party. Um, then subsection D talks about the, you know, the notice that must be filed. Uh, if the defendant wants other non parties to be considered in that liability or percentage of fault consideration. So that's the first thing that a fact finder, jury, or judge should consider percentage of fault. Only after that do they turn to damages. So once damages have been determined, so if the jury says, hey, we're going to award $100,000 of damages, well then, the second part or second prong is you reduce those damages by the plaintiff's fault. That's subsection A. Now, subsection B says only when there are multiple defendants are the damages assigned to each defendant according to respective percentages of fault.
1: So only where there are multiple defendants named in the lawsuit, not where you found multiple people at fault, but where there, were, where only where there are multiple defendants named in the lawsuit.
2: Correct. And remember, it's a strict textualist view. So when you look at The wording of subsection B, it says where an action is brought against more than one person. So regardless of other people who may be liable, non-parties or parties, uh, if there's only one defendant named in the lawsuit, then we're not apportioning damages to anyone else.
1: So where there's one plaintiff and one defendant, assuming the plaintiff is not more liable than the defendant, right? Right. Then the damages don't get reduced regardless of who else might have been at fault. Correct. Under the Austin and Burke
2: case. Right. And, you know, so that's the current state of the law. And so there is a little bit of an update there. I don't know if somebody wants to to update us on the legislative side of it.
0: Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification.
1: Folks, this is Wade and Tain. You're listening to the Good Judgment podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us. And follow us on your favorite podcast platform and tell your friends. It's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And
0: now back to our studio audience.
1: Um, before we got on the air, before we started recording, you had the bill number. I don't remember the bill number. Um,
2: I've got it right here. Representative Efstration. 961.
1: 961. Uh, okay. Representative Stration, Um is chair of the judiciary and I think there has been a bit of a negotiation between different factions of the plaintiff's bar and defense bar and other people and basically it's my understanding and I have not read the draft I I had a conversation with him yesterday and have not read this draft
0: and and let me just pause right there Wade and let's just throw out just how much we like him too one of our favorite people ever really other than perhaps appellate court judges Um, really one of our favorite people. But anyway, Wade, go ahead.
1: Exactly. So representative Epstration indicated that they were going to develop a process whereby even if they, you only have one defendant that the jury can attribute fault to non-parties and in their verdict essentially show we find in favor of the plaintiff and against the defendant in the amount of X, which should be a percentage of the overall damages found, if that makes any sense. Basically, they want to go back to what it was before and just have a a verdict represent as to this defendant, we award damages of X after you do the math problem, so to speak, of of all the liable parties, their their respective degrees of responsibility. Therefore, if if it's ten thousand dollars, that is a. Did you notice Tane by the way, where my man who does plaintiff's work went to a hundred thousand dollars? Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. I thought
2: I was I thought yeah. I was starting low. I I was, ten
0: billion dollars.
2: <laughs> there you go. I was speaking to the common man, you know. <laughs> Right.
1: But they right. were going but there what what the outcome is going to be I think is that there will be a verdict against this defendant because that's the only person who's a party to the lawsuit that represents the dollar figure of overall damages minus all the different levels of fault. So that's a lot yeah. of words to say I think it's going to go back to the way it was.
0: Yeah, so that that bill is in, intended to Replicate what the original reading of the statute was before uh, the court of appeals, uh, you know, reinterpreted it and realized that there was a, a wording issue there.
2: That's right. Uh, what makes it easier for me to understand all this stuff is just if you break it down into two levels. That's percentages of fault first being considered, and then damages being considered. And that's the way it, the statute reads. That's the way it should be done. So you're always comparing the percentages of fault to determine the plaintiff's uh, percentage of fault. So if it's Wade, Tane, and Garen, uh, you know, all in a wreck, and if Garen is determined to be 51% at fault, well, Garen doesn't recover, but we're kind of done right there. So, uh, but if Garen's 25%, you know, Wade is 25%, Tane is 50%, then a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. I know. Tane, But if there's a hundred thousand dollars out there, well, Tain's on the hook for fifty. Wade's on the hook for twenty-five, and the uh, judgment is reduced by twenty-five thousand for Garrett's uh, Negative.
0: And, and that's an important point, and I did want to make sure that everybody understands that it, it, it's a two-prong analysis of the plaintiff's liability. The first prong is is the plaintiff more than fifty percent liable? If so, no recovery. And then the secondary analysis is if not fifty-one or more, you know, fifty plus percent liable then how much is the percent uh plaintiff's percentage of negligence and the plaintiff's uh judgment would be reduced by that percentage is that's that's still the reading of the statute and that's the way it's intended to be to be uh examined correct
2: correct The, the only kind of sticking point right now is this weird situation where you have multiple potential parties that are liable but only one party is named as a defendant sure
0: so, so you're, you're, and, and I'm catching you off guard here because I didn't ask you this beforehand, but I mean, you, you do some plaintiff's work, Garen, uh, is one more advantageous than the other to plaintiffs as things stand right now? In other words, is it, is it better to name just one defendant? If you've got one, that's a strong defendant who's well-funded, <laughs> um, right. or, or is it better to go ahead and, you know, do the shotgun approach and name everybody who might be liable and see what you get?
2: Well, what I will tell you is, you know, in the interest of justice, you always want to name the most liable party and all the parties who may be at fault for the serious injury that was caused uh, to my client. However, I, I didn't uh, have
0: I, I was trying to find a recording of the national anthem to play softly behind you as you were talking. Please, bit,
2: find you could still do it. You could still do it. Uh, okay. so what, what I would say is, you know, there is an opportunity here. Um, for a uh, a plaintiff to file suit against the DOT, the the like you had mentioned before, that kind of deep pocket, and uh, only have one party uh, on the other side of the V, and that then you're not apportioning damages to anyone else. So yeah. there there is a little bit of a we'll call it discrepancy here. But I'm, I'm sure that none of my brethren would take advantage of that.
0: No, no. I, I would not confuse everybody by, by reminding them of what the statutes used to say. But there was a time when if you were 1% negligent, you could end up paying all of the damages if everybody else essentially was broke. And so I was I was the money, the money defendant in many, many, many of those cases. And the whole argument
1: was, they're 1%. Ne- Surely they're 1% negligent. <laughs> You know, I don't want to go back to my rant from the prior episode, but I could have sworn that we had the ability to do counterclaims and cross claims and joinder. I mean, I just, this still befuddles me that you don't require the litigating parties to bring in the people that they think are liable to get them to the table. We're going to talk about them. We're going to attribute them fault in some fantasy world. But both parties have the ability to bring all of those people in. But as from Garen's standpoint, as a plaintiff's lawyer, I would think it would be easier to litigate against one party, right? The money man, exactly, making it rain. But on the other hand, you get this empty chair defense, right? where they just throw the empty chair out there and they talk about what the delivery driver did and what the tire manufacturer did and what the brake manufacturer did. There's no, there's nobody there to talk about any of that. There's nobody there to refute it. You could bring them in, but you make, if you don't, there's really, we're going to have this big trial about somebody who's not there. Just frustrates me. I guess it just takes me back to law school. And I thought all that stuff mattered. And apparently it really doesn't matter very much.
2: Well, I, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you know the defense bar can use it to their advantage as well with this empty chair defense. Uh, and yes, both sides have the ability to bring in uh, parties, non-parties under joinder, and we might see more defense attorneys bring in some joint, you know, parties under joinder. But it sounds like the legislature is trying to address it first.
0: Well and and my point about that would be and this is just tame Kell talking it's just one man's opinion but this seems to me to be one of those cases where uh, the court of appeals is speaking directly to the legislature and saying be careful how you draft the language of the statutes that affect things like this because it's important and it may and it means something and so you know I I know I know how carefully the legislators try to do that but you know things get changed at the last minute sometimes or you know, comma gets, gets moved or a word gets inserted and things change meaning. And and so anyway, it seems to me that that's what the court of appeals is saying is, you know, the words and the syntax of the words and all of that really does
2: matter.
1: Well, Garen, don't be such a stranger. Yeah. To the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: will. I would gladly come back whenever I can. I look forward to doing some more of these with you guys uh, on these exciting topics.
0: <laughs> well, I'm it's sure. always a joy and a pleasure to have you here, Garen. And uh, and I'm sorry I confused you with Gerard Depardieu because he's a great actor and you are a great plaintiff's attorney litigator.
2: Thank you, Tay.
1: <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this, so let's just cut this off early. Uh, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And, oh, and I'm Garen Mueller. And, and you're Garen Mueller. And
0: uh, hey, thanks for tuning in.
1: Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia
0: College of Law for assisting in our recording.
1: Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness.
0: But nobody can
1: get it all. Tain and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks
0: to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series.
1: You know that these are our opinions and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law or anybody else for that matter. You
0: can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise, but please contact someone else with any complaints.
1: But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help.
0: You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey, Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this session? (laughs)
0: Yes, Wade. Yes, I do have some thoughts. Remember that a stitch in time saves nine. And if you know what that means, please contact us at goodjudgepod.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.